This is Saving the Game, a Christian podcast about tabletop role-playing and collaborative storytelling. Recorded Thursday, July 12th of 2017, it's episode 113. In this episode, understanding and gaming with the Fourth Commandment, plus our favorite RPG characters, a reminder about our Patreon, Jenny issues Battletech errata, learning Korean, and more. Welcome to Saving the Game. I'm Grant. I'm Peter. And I'm Jenny. What's up? We went to Fear the Con, and now we're back. Yes, we did. <laughs> yeah, you did. Mm-hmm. Last week, for those who missed it, was a recap episode from just Jenny and Peter, recorded at Fear the Con, uh, on Jenny's awesome new recording equipment. Hooray! Yeah! Yeah! Thank you, Patreon supporters, for, for Absolutely. That. We'll be talking about that in a bit. But thanks to your generous support, we can now hear what Jenny actually sounds like on the episodes. Yeah. And we can hear her when she says, yeah. Yeah. Which, let me tell you, I have been having to uh, manually amplify a lot of Jenny's audio because of her old mic. So mm-hmm. It's the quiet mic. <laughs> it, it's the highly variable mic. That's the problem. Yeah. I was actually recording with two different mics before, um, and then one of them died. Like, the first one was an inline mic, and it was on a cord that I was literally holding up to my face for every episode so that it would be able to pick up anything. And also so that because I actually have an issue with my sternum where it cracks sometimes, so keeping the mic away from my chest was uh, kind of important. Um, And now I've got a not inline mic that is attached to my headphones, but now I'm using an actual separate microphone that is very, very nice and I believe is the exact same as both uh, Grant and Peter's. It's the same one as mine. Grant uses a different one. He originally had one, but then burglary. Ooh. Yeah, it got stolen in a break-in. I'm hoping to get one eventually, but I wanted to make sure Jenny had a better mic uh, since I'm actually using a hand-me-down mic from Mike Perna of Inroads Ministries, who was very kind and uh, sent it to me pretty much just at cost. Ooh, very nice. And uh, yeah. the nice thing about it, I mean, it's it's got some other issues, but it's really good for recording a whole room if we ever, like, record around a table or something. Mm. So that's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Uh, We haven't really talked about Patreon much over the past several episodes, largely because we've had a lot of guests. But I do want to remind everyone that we do have a Patreon that supports the show, and it does a lot for us. It pays for all the hosting. Uh, Our show is basically 100% listener funded. And by hosting, we don't mean us. We mean like the web hosting fees and such. Yeah, which is more than I like, but, you know, it is what it is. Podcast hosting is weird. Uh, It covers equipment. You guys paid for Jenny's mic so that you get better audio quality. That's awesome. Uh, And it encourages us to do things like our weekend reading series, which for those who haven't been paying attention, it goes up every Friday. It's a collection of interesting stuff from around the internet, articles we think you guys will like. It covers new role-playing games. Um, And I'm going to give a shout out to somebody here. One of our listeners, Justin, uh, heard us talk two episodes back about how our D&D game was on hold, and he very kindly ran a Feng Shui 2 one-shot for us, Mm -hmm. which was really good. So, Justin, thank you very much. Yeah, just a real quick note on that. So, not only was this a really fun game that we got a chance to play in, but this was also the first time that Jenny and I actually got to play in the same game. 
And Grant and yes, I, I don't think ever. Grant and I have ever played either. So. Uh, we have. We oh, have. Yeah? We did uh, Fear the Con 5. We were both in Dan's Star Trek game. We were. We were, weren't we? And that was the, the year that it was in the same room as Scooby Thulu, which I talked about on uh, mm-hmm. the uh, recap episode. And were you in Ryan Friedrich's Fate game based on Adventure Time? No. I okay. don't think- Tyler was. I, I thought Tyler was- No, wait. Yeah, Tyler was in it. Tyler also called me over at the very end of the game to sing the ending theme song at the end of the right. game. I, I I thought I remembered you at the table. That's what that yes. was. Okay. So, yes, we have, in fact, game together, although the Star Trek game is not a whole lot of role-playing. It's no. very tactical. It Yeah. I would say that it is role-playing, but you are in a military role, <laughs> and it's very different. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's not a lot of character development yeah. is what I'm saying here. Yeah, it's it's very much tactical starship combat, which is cool, but mm-hmm. very different. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, Feng Shui 2, really fun game. It is. Justin, we kind of did him a disservice. He had this, this one shot that he had designed for like a four-hour con slot. And because of my schedule and my wife's schedule, we kind of had to compact it to like two hours and 15 minutes. And even with that real time crunch on the game, it ended up being And the fact that none of us had actually played the system before. Well, that's the other thing. He did a great job of saying, hey, here's the system. Here's a bunch of things that make it easier to do over Roll20 and go. Mm -hmm. And I mentioned this, A, because Justin was awesome and did this for us. Very kind of him. And second, we might be using some of that Patreon money to get Chrissy a copy of Feng Shui 2 because she wants to run it now. And we might end up recording a session or two. We'll see what happens. All right. Chrissy told me, yeah, I spent a whole shower and all day thinking of things I would do with Feng Shui 2. Does that mean <laughs> I have to get the game? <laughs> yes. Yes, I told it her, does. It means you have to run you it. Well, considering that she's the mother of a couple of young children and that's pretty much all of the free time she gets, yeah, I'd say that's a pretty good sign. Mm-hmm. Pretty much. Um, but it's a thing. And that's the kind of thing that this Patreon money goes to because that will give us games to talk about on the air. And... I keep trying to get an actual play of some sort recorded. Mm-hmm. We'll see what happens. I also want to remind our listeners that our Patreon rewards are things like the questions we read each show, topic polls for anybody who's pledging $5 a month or more. For 10 and above, I need to figure out something for you guys. There are some people who generously support us without really getting anything more out of that. If you have suggestions for that or you have something you want, reach out to us and I will see what I can do to make that happen. I mean, I, I can't necessarily commit to a lot, but if you have a cool idea that you think is suitable, let me know. At some point, maybe we should just send a couple of those people a t-shirt. <laughs> yeah, honestly, that seems like a good idea. Mm-hmm. I do want to mention that we do have another goal coming up, uh, 100 a month. We're currently at 60 a, mo- uh, a month, roughly speaking. Once we hit 100 a month, we're going to start producing some other sort of media, and I think at this point, it's probably some sort of live stream. It might just be a scheduled time with us doing like a Twitch stream for games, me at least, and Jenny and Peter as they're available for it or mm-hmm. if they want to do it, but it'll be me at least. And we might do other stuff. We'll have to figure that out, but that is on the goal chart as the thing we'll do next is some other form of media production for you all. So keep that in mind. A couple other things I want to mention. First, Jenny would like to publish some errata for last podcast. Yeah, I would like to make a correction. During the bonus episode that Peter and I recorded at Fear the Con, I made the foolish claim that Arlie and I were the only people to kill a mech. This is false. It's so much better this way, though. (laughs) 
Um, so there were three teams on on the BattleTech field. There was my and Arlie's team. There was Terrace and I. I don't think I ever actually caught the guy's name. I want to say his name was. I'm not going to say his name because I'm going to get it wrong. Um, and then across the table from myself and Darley was Tom and his son Simon. They also killed a mech. It just happened to be theirs. Their own mech that they killed with a death from above that did not kill the mech that they were trying to kill. It just killed their mech. So Tom... I love Battletech. <laughs> so Tom reminded me of this in the comment section on our page and um, I, I've decided to officially state on the record, Arlie and I were not the only people to destroy a mech. Tom and Simon also destroyed a mech. Good there job, you have it. <laughs> uh, it. It's been officially entered into the record and correction has been noted. Mm-hmm. On a completely unrelated <laughs> so note. So let it be written. Ab- <laughs> so, yes, yeah, so let it be known. We'll send... Uh, riders out to the four corners of the kingdom, mm-hmm. etc. Uh, and we should totally do an errata podcast at some point, just like correcting ourselves on things. That would mm-hmm. be great. Also, a, a little note here, just as a interesting hobby I have picked up. I've started teaching myself Korean. That's cool. The The writing system is very, very sensible. I it's like so it a lot. good. Yeah, Hanguk is a really interesting writing system it's it's really just fun to to learn and yeah i yeah. i love it do you, do uh, and the you, language itself is pretty interesting do you know how the writing system came about yes i do actually it's really cool and you should probably talk about it i don't remember all the details without pulling up the wikipedia page or something like that <laughs> um but it was actually a designed writing system like much like japanese th- there was an earlier writing system uh, derived from Chinese using Chinese characters, and it didn't necessarily suit the Korean language. Uh, And so in the 1400s, the king of Korea at that time, and king may not be the technically accurate uh, word for him, but it'll do at least for the head of state for uh, Korea at the time. Yeah, basically. Mm -hmm. He basically said, we need our own writing system. And he sat down with a group of scholars, and there's actually some anecdotal evidence that there may not have been a group of scholars, but it might be something he came up with entirely on his own. What was produced was this very sensible writing system with 40 characters that combines in very natural ways so that each syllable is one set of characters with very logically organized vowels and consonants. It produces this very large combination, like the mathematical combinations are far more than what's actually required to speak Korean. And it's it's incredibly simple to the point where the, the you know the, the scholars of the time basically said, a smart man can learn this in a day. It'll take a stupid man a week. <laughs> uh, and it was designed specifically so that lower classes could very easily learn it and become literate, mm-hmm. which is really cool. Yeah. It's not often that you get somebody... So high ranking in a country that's like, I want my people to be educated. I want my people to be educate themselves and educate each other. And I want knowledge to be spread far and wide and recorded. And as it happens in the next century, there was a lot of pushback against it. Uh, for exactly that reason, you know, is oh well, you know, it's it's a bad thing for people to use this language, uh, largely perhaps as a means of retaining political and legal power in a less literate country. 
But then after that, it came back into vogue and, you know, quickly became adopted as, um, you know, the, the national writing system for Korea. Uh, and it is extremely easy to learn. I mm-hmm. learned the entire, like the alphabet in a day, the actual writing syntax the next day, just from resources online. Mm-hmm. Wow. Uh, my dad had to go to Korea for like half a week and mm-hmm. he was very easily able to learn the the written language in less than a week like it, it was incredibly simple for him uh, he had a yep. tiny little booklet that he brought with him on a plane in case he messed up and that that was about it it's yep. it's a fascinating language system i i like it a lot i do too and uh you know i just like learning the language i i talked about this in the blog post that will be going up after we record this so it's kind of weird like it will have been out for a week when this episode drops but hasn't actually been written yet <laughs> Time Hooray, travel timing. and time is podcasting. Weird. Yeah, but one of the reasons, basically, I've been kind of dissatisfied lately, and I finally pinned down that dissatisfaction as I've been craving some sort of intellectual stimulation. My wife's been teaching herself Japanese, and my daughter has randomly decided she wants to learn Spanish. Hmm. So that's really cool. And she's, this is remarkable for a four-year-old. She is actively spending time learning Spanish on things like Duolingo. It, this is the perfect time for her to start, by the way. All of the child develop, child language mm-hmm, development mm-hmm. classes I've taken, this is a really good time to start her on Spanish. And the fact that she's taking the initiative is amazing. Well, that's the thing. An easily distractible four-year-old taking the initiative on something for more than two days mm-hmm. is pretty remarkable. But she's still interested and engaged. Yeah. So we're having fun doing that. And I kind of looked at that. I was like, oh, that seems really cool. And then it kind of hit me, oh, wait, I've one of the reasons I've been a little frustrated is I haven't been learning anything lately, like not really going in depth on something. And I don't want to repeat the whole blog post here, but I've really kind of gone hard on learning Korean and it's been very satisfying so far. So that's been fun. Hmm. Cool. Okay. Uh, speaking of Patreon stuff, unless anybody else has anything we want to talk about here. Nah. Cool. No. We have a big topic to get into. Let's get into that. But first... We have our Patreon question, and just so you know, uh, since we've gotten questions from folks who don't normally write questions in to us, I've had to increase the size of the die I roll. That's pretty cool. <laughs> All right. Oh, okay. So this is from uh, one of our regular Patreon contributors, uh, Richard Lorenz. I love hearing about other people's exploits and stories, successes and failures. Who was your favorite RPG character? So I don't know that I want to get into a big, long, uh, tell me about your character thing here, but let's try and do this quickly and let's do a little bit about why. Who wants to go first? I'll go first. I'm trying to narrow it down to two, so yeah, somebody else. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll go first. My favorite character is actually a fairly recent one that unfortunately uh, the game also died a couple months ago. So, uh, Sad. It, it didn't die, it's gone into indefinite hibernation. Um, but yeah, uh, my character was a human wizard named Meredith, and she had amnesia because, uh, the other player characters woke her up from cryosleep on an ancient spell jammer that they found essentially buried under a mountain, and they woke her up, and she is the only human on the planet because she came from another planet where all the humans are, or were, we, we never actually fully nailed down what her backstory was because we were sort of like slow. The, the GM and I were sort of slowly fleshing out her background via flashbacks together. Uh, this was a, a collaborative effort primarily. 
Part of her amnesia meant that she didn't really remember all of the social cues, and it made her very impulsive. So a lot of what Meredith would do is when all the other player characters would start stagnating and start overthinking things, Meredith would be like, I go up and I touch the mystical statue. Nice. And it would drive the plot forward, and I think... I I had a lot of fun doing that. I don't know if it was helpful or worse for the GM, but (laughs) I sure helped move things along, and it was a really fun character to play. And honestly, I am thinking of possibly resurrecting that character in another game someday. Um, Great. Because she was just so much fun, and she she kept things moving, and it was really good. And I had a really good spell set for her, too, primarily based on lightning. Um, oh, and she, I, I sort of made her look like Gwendolyn Christie wearing a poncho, which just, that's my aesthetic. That's what I like. So, yeah. Nice. All the best characters have lightning spells. Just saying. Mm-hmm. Well-known <laughs> fact. I'll go next. And I think there's there's an interesting thread here that we might want to turn into an episode topic another time. Because my favorite character was also one who was notable for taking the initiative and driving the plot forward in ways that I don't normally do. And this was actually a con game character Hmm. at Fear the Con 5. And this was a fiasco game with Steve Jorjura, Jeb Brack, Terry Dyer, and I think Jeffrey Hosmer, and myself. This was a, a Wild West game. I was playing a young, angry Mexican nationalist in this kind of on the Mexico-Texas border, probably somewhere, depending on exactly who you asked about the border. (laughs) And very angry with his uncle, very selfish, very prideful, who ended up getting his uncle killed. That was Jeb Brack's character. Destroying a, a good bit of the town and certainly its economic viability. Being forced to leave the town, watching the church that uh, his uncle had uh, built and prayed in burn down, and dying under the hose of the U.S. cavalry. Wow. What a life. It was amazing. What a life. It was great. (laughs) Because he was actively involved, and there's something about con games for me. I'm normally pretty reserved with characters. I don't do a lot of voices and acting and all that. (laughs) Unless it's a con game, because apparently if it doesn't matter, I go all out. Because I started off the game turning to Jeb and just yelling at him. <laughs> uh, we if were you're going to arguing... turn to somebody and yell at a table, he's a good choice. <laughs> yeah, well, that's the thing. And he yelled right back because it was like, hey, let's start this fiasco game off with an argument about a coupon for a brothel. Oh, boy. <laughs> It just, it went from there. We, there was just all this animation standing up at the table, you know, just gesturing and, you know, being angry at each other and having these big dramatic moments. And it was so much fun and so engaging. And this incredibly deep and complicated role playing that was happening. I mean, it's Fiasco, right? Mm-hmm. We honestly didn't need the dice at all. And Fiasco is not heavily on, you know, it, it uses dice just for, you know, how does the scene end? We could have just tossed the dice off the table and kept the story going without them because it would have ended the same way. My character was very clearly on a very tragic arc and it was going to be awesome all the way down. Mm-hmm. There's another guy across the table who probably killed my father. And, you know, there's just all this other great stuff. So I honestly think all of my best characters have, in fact, been con characters hmm. because I'm willing to throw myself into them in ways that I don't do with, quote unquote, regular or ongoing campaigns. Mm hmm. I think there is definitely an episode topic in there, and we should probably, I'm, you know, I'm going to write that down right now. Sweet. All right, Peter, made your decision. 
Yeah, but I'm going to have to explain it a little bit. I narrowed this down from a list that initially started out with two and then went up to three. And the two that did not make it are the character that I played in that Ravenloft game that I have referenced many times on this podcast. And the mouse that I played in Shannon's con game two years in a row. Mm -hmm. The first one was on the list for the same reason that the one that actually made this distinction, I guess, is. And that it kind of gave me a very clear set of lenses to examine some deeper stuff through. And the second one, just because that mouse was just so much unbelievable, wacky fun. (laughs) Right. The character that is going to be given the favorite spot is the one that I'm playing in your game. As I've discussed on a number of episodes, I don't have a huge amount of dramatic range. Most of my characters are fairly close to me in at least some ways, but I think Lambert is the first one that's really kind of forcing me to examine the kind of person I ultimately want to be as I'm playing him, rather than what I would think, you know, some kind of idealized heroic version of myself would look like. You know, what does a good person actually look like? How does somebody who is actually wise and moral handle the kind of problems that are presented to him in a situation where he's out and he doesn't have access to society, which he is very much in favor of. And I don't know, it's just something about that, especially since that character is also a member of the clergy. Hmm. It just resonates with me somehow. Okay. Yeah. Richard, thanks for your question. Hopefully we've done it some justice here. And uh, do get us another question in, because I, I note looking at our list that that's the, the last one. Send us a few more. Like we said before, if you want your questions read on the show, if you want them added to our big list of questions to roll on, uh, just support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash saving the game. All right, let's get our scripture. Uh, there's a fair bit of this because we're talking about a pretty interesting and scripture heavy topic tonight. So let's go ahead and get started with this. Uh, so our first reading is Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 through 11. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath day to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. And I'll take Nehemiah here. This is a long one. Uh, Nehemiah chapter 13 verses 15 to 22. In those days I saw people in Judah treading wine presses on the Sabbath and bringing in grain and loading it on donkeys, together with wine, grapes, figs, and all other kinds of loads. And they were bringing all this into Jerusalem on the Sabbath. Therefore I warned them against selling food on that day. People from Tyre who lived in Jerusalem were bringing in fish and all kinds of merchandise and selling them in Jerusalem on the Sabbath to the people of Judah. I rebuked the nobles of Judah and said to them, What is this wicked thing you are doing, desecrating the Sabbath day? Didn't your ancestors do the same thing, so that our God brought all this calamity on us and on this city? Now you are stirring up more wrath against Israel by desecrating the Sabbath. When evening shadows fell on the gates of Jerusalem before the Sabbath, I ordered the doors to be shut and not opened until the Sabbath was over. I stationed some of my own men at the gates so that no load could be brought in on the Sabbath day. Once or twice the merchants and sellers of all kinds of goods spent the night outside Jerusalem. But I warned them and said, Why do you spend the night by the wall? If you do this again, I will arrest you. From that time on, they no longer came on the Sabbath. 
Then I commanded the Levites to purify themselves and go and guard the gates in order to keep the Sabbath day holy. Remember me for this also, my God, and show mercy to me according to your great love. And we have here Mark two twenty three to 27 One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, Look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? He answered, Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abathar the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for priests to eat, and he also gave some to his companions. Then he said, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Acts chapter 1, verses 10 through 12. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking at the sky? This same Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day's walk from the city. So, as you might have surmised, we're talking tonight about the fourth commandment. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. We have a lot to go over here, but the first thing I want to talk about is why this is a commandment at all. What's the the spiritual purpose of the Sabbath? It serves a couple of purposes. First, it memorializes the covenant between God and his people. Uh, and here we're talking about the covenant of Abraham. It memorializes the fact that God himself rested. We see in scripture God rested. That's an important thing that we're going to talk about later as a reminder to ourselves that rest is holy. It also serves to remind the people of Israel of the covenant that was renewed in their emancipation from Egypt. Uh, And it specifically gives workers rest that slaves, like they were in Egypt, could never have. It's a level of dignity that, frankly, is rare in human history. From a a spiritual perspective, I'm going to say spiritual, sort of a practical spiritual perspective, if you will, it makes time. It's time for reflection, time for prayer, for peace, for community building, and for rest. Uh, There's a 19th century Jewish essayist, one of the founders of the Zionist movement, uh, pre-state Zionism, Ahad Ha'am. I may not be pronouncing it correctly. I apologize. He famously once said, more than the Jews have kept the Sabbath, the Sabbath has kept the Jews. And by that, he meant that having a communal day of rest, a day when everybody is off together, builds a community in a way that a simple weekend, for example, never could. Everyone keeping that time sacred together turns out to be very important. Now, what does keep the Sabbath actually mean in practical or impractical terms? For those who don't know, the Sabbath is from sundown on the sixth day of the week to sundown on the seventh day of the week, roughly speaking, sundown Friday night to sundown Saturday night. It is a consecrated day, given to God, belonging to him rather than to his people. By consecrating something, we say this no longer belongs to us, but belongs to God. And work is forbidden. Work is forbidden for the Israelites. It's forbidden for foreigners among the Israelites, for free Israelites and servants alike, even for beasts. There's a number of things specifically mentioned. I'm going to get into these later. But the the word used is, and I do not know how to pronounce Hebrew, but I'm going to make my best guess at it here. The word is melaka. 
for work. And it's not just labor, but specifically it means creative work, work that creates something, not art, but craftsmanship, workmanship, that sort of thing, anything that creates something new. Now, according to Mosaic Law, the punishment for violating the Sabbath was death. And that seems extreme, but we're talking about one of the fundamental things that sets the Israelites apart from all of their neighbors. Nobody else had a Sabbath day. It's also worth noting that the punishment for a lot of things was death mm-hmm. at that time in human history. Uh, certainly, but this is you know explicitly enshrined in Mosaic Law. And you know when you had a Jewish city council, Sanhedrin, this was one of their, their main jobs was determining whether somebody had violated the Sabbath because it's a big deal, right? I mean, when you're talking about death, that raises the stakes significantly. Naturally, this led to the establishment of the day before the Sabbath as the day of preparation, when everything needed for the Sabbath day was prepared ahead of time. You'd do extra cooking to make sure you didn't have to cook on the Sabbath day, for example. We even see this in Exodus chapter 16, uh, when God gives manna to his people in the desert. Normally, anybody who gathered extra manna and kept it more than a day saw it rot. It was full of maggots and fell apart and was disgusting because they were specifically told, gather only what you need for the day. But on the day before the Sabbath, they collected twice as much manna and it kept through the Sabbath. Incidentally, all four Gospels agree that Jesus was crucified on the day of preparation, which was Good Friday. Now, rabbis naturally had to determine what was and wasn't work, because again, we're talking about the death penalty if you, you know, are working on the Sabbath. Well, what is work? And there's an interesting process that was involved coming up with this, because rabbinical tradition ended up with 39 categories of work, melakot. We're going to talk somewhat about like the, the legalistic movements and, and how attention to the Sabbath waxes and wanes throughout, throughout history. Some of these categories of work are explicitly forbidden in law, like don't gather wood, don't press grapes, things like that. Those are explicit. Uh, the other main source of these is what follows almost immediately after the Ten Commandments, which is when God commands the Israelites to build a tabernacle. The thing is, in amongst those commands, it reiterates in very strong terms that the Sabbath must be observed while building that tabernacle. And so that gave these rabbinical scholars a set of very strong clues for what else counted as work, what else was uh, malacca in terms of what did and didn't violate the Sabbath. So you, this creates two divisions among these categories of work, those for the tabernacle and those for the man. Quick note here, I'm cribbing a fair bit from Wikipedia. So if you know something about this that I don't, that's why. Uh, this is something that, and we'll talk about this in a bit as well, as a Gentile Christian, this is not something I have had to pay much attention to, but it is interesting. There are 39 categories of things forbidden on the Sabbath. And when I talk about categories, I mean broad categories of things that are forbidden. And I just want to run through these real quick because it's interesting what is and isn't forbidden. Planting, plowing, reaping, gathering, threshing and extracting, winnowing, sorting and purifying, grinding, sifting, kneading or amalgamating, cooking or baking, shearing, scouring or laundering, carding or combing wool, dyeing, spinning, warping, which is putting thread on a loom before you weave it. It's the first part of weaving. Making two loops with a cord. Weaving, separating two threads, tying, 
untying, sewing, tearing, trapping, slaughtering, flaying or skinning, curing or preserving, smoothing, scoring, measured cutting, writing, erasing, building, demolishing, extinguishing fire, igniting fire, completing an object, or transferring things between domains. Now, these are categories of activity. Sewing, for example, is kind of the, the term for a category that is combining separate objects into one thing. So, sewing includes welding, or gluing, or putting a picture in a picture frame, because that makes it into one thing where you previously had two. That violates the, the Sabbath, according to the, the rabbinical interpretations that Orthodox Jews follow. Now, it's important to note that there is an exception here for saving lives. While these are adhered to pretty strictly, if following these Sabbath laws would complicate saving a life, there is an explicit requirement in the law that Jews violate that Sabbath law. And just as these categories are very broad, that requirement is also very broad. Taking a woman in active labor to the hospital would violate one of these laws, but that is absolutely one of the things that is accepted as, yep, you know what, that violates the law, but because it saves a life, do it. Putting out a fire that would burn the house down and kill everybody inside would be extinguishing a fire, but that would save lives. That's mm -hmm. right. Although, if there is no danger to life, you're supposed to let the house burn down. Uh, travel is an interesting one. It's complicated because it's implicit in the call for holy assemblies, assemblies on the Sabbath that some amount of travel is fine, but Exodus also says, no man shall leave his place on the seventh day. In Jesus' time, there was so much legalism around this that they established a maximum distance that was permitted to travel. It was 2,000 cubits, which works out to about 0.9 kilometers. In Acts 1, and this is why okay, I included hang on. this... Okay, how, how much is that in miles? Because I am lousy with the metric system. Not uh, much. It's, it's, it's 900 meters, which if you take the 100-yard dash times that by 9, that's how much you can move. Yeah, it's 2.2 kilometers per mile, I believe, or am I thinking of pounds and kilograms? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know the answer to that to question. To the Google. <laughs> to Wolfram Alpha. <laughs> 0 0.9 km in miles. Just over half a mile. Half a mile? 0.55, okay. yeah. So you could travel half a mile. Wow. That's, uh, that's just a few blocks. You can walk for 10 minutes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Pretty much. But the thing is, that became a unit of measure. Uh, in Acts 1, it's called a Sabbath day's walk. It's a unit of distance. Which is kind of fascinating all on its own, really. It kind of is, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Now, I've kind of mentioned this legalism a couple of times. There's a lot of historical attention to the Sabbath throughout Jewish history, throughout Scripture. And you can clearly see from reading scripture, that attention to it waxes and wanes over time. If you're reading the histories, the, you know, the, the time of judges, the time of kings, uh, you read the prophets, you can see that there's actually not a whole lot of attention to the Sabbath <laughs> paid during that time. In the histories especially, it kind of feels like the attention paid to the Sabbath correlates with the faithfulness of Israel and its leaders and the unity of God's people. Uh, likewise, in the prophets' writings, we see a multitude of calls to restore the Sabbath, to keep the Sabbath, and condemning those who don't keep it. We see it in Nehemiah, we see it in Jeremiah, we see it in Isaiah, so on. By the time of Jesus, after the restoration of the temple, the institution of the Maccabean and Roman Jewish states, things have actually swung in the other direction. 
The Sabbath is so strictly enforced and adhered to that Jesus has to remind Israel's leaders and teachers that the Sabbath is not meant to be punitive, it's meant to be restorative. The importance of the Sabbath to Gentile Christians varies on a number of factors throughout history, but it's really never as central to life in the same way as it was and is to Orthodox Jews. The Reformation brought some renewed interest in it, at least among some Protestant sects, but this naturally, because the Reformation, while you know theologically important, led to some erratic application, let's say, among conflicting and transient and non-rabbinical political authorities. Um, J. Ellsworth Callus, who wrote a very good book that I will recommend to anyone interested in this series, called The Ten Commandments from the Backside, rather than as negatives, looking at them as positive, active statements. Uh, he notes an example of a 17th century Scotsman who was jailed for smiling on the Sabbath. Wow. What? <laughs> well, Wait, again, which one did one that violate? I'm going back. I'm going back in the show notes. I'm going to find out which one that violated. Well, and the answer is probably none of them. <laughs> but remember, we're talking about that very strict Protestant tradition. Joy Davidman, who was a poet, essayist, and wife of C.S. Lewis, because I'm going to get my C.S. Lewis in here somehow, <laughs> once observed that many recast the Fourth Commandment as, Thou shalt not enjoy life on Sunday, in direct contradiction of its actual spiritual purpose. <laughs> oh. Which is, Thou shalt oh, enjoy no. life on Sunday yeah. instead of working and toiling. Right, yeah. and I suspect this is very much an example of that. This is somebody saying, What? You're having fun? You're enjoying yourself on the Sabbath? How dare you? Right. Clap him uh, in irons. <laughs> if, that doesn't, if that doesn't sound like your classic Scottish or British Protestant. Uh, no, that's, uh, that's where Puritanism came from. I think we can all agree on that one. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now, almost all Christian denominations do believe that Gentiles are not required to observe the Sabbath. We are not subject to Mosaic law. The Ten Commandments are a useful guide, but again, we're not held to the law in the same way as the Israelites and the Jews. Notably, Messianic Jews and uh, Seventh-day Adventists do observe it. I remember Brandon, who was a Seventh-day Adventist, talked about it a fair bit on the show if you go back and listen to old episodes. That's the Sabbath. It is interesting. You will note that only Orthodox Jews really adhere to this. Even conservative Jews who try and adhere, adhere to it as closely as they can make a lot of exceptions. There's a great deal of debate among Orthodox rabbis about a lot of these. There's debates about whether the use of electricity is allowed on the Sabbath, for example. Oh, yeah. It'd be close to igniting a fire, I guess. Well, and so that's what's interesting. Uh, it used to be that, yeah, it seemed like lighting a fire, especially because with older electrical circuits, there was a risk of a spark. Yeah. The debate then uh, moved forward because the question was, well, if the purpose of closing a circuit is not to light a spark, does that count? You know, if the spark is an accident of it, does that count? And the answer was, well, no, probably not. But then the, the question come up of, does it count as completing something because you're completing the circuit? Hmm. As it turns out, opening and closing a door is perfectly fine. This is a question that has been answered by rabbis over time. Uh, and the answer, of course, is, yeah, that's fine. One of the arguments in favor of using electricity on the Sabbath is... It's functionally the same as like opening or closing a door. It's like saying, well, if I close a door, it completes a wall. We don't think of it that way. Mm -hmm. You know, if I close a circuit, I'm not completing the circuit in the same way. Now, you know, if I'm using a device, you know, that violates one of these others, of course, that's very different. For Orthodox Jews who believe this, however, they actually make lamps that stay lit 
all the time, and you turn it off and on by simply covering or opening the cover so that you kind of hide the light or let it shine rather than putting it out. Huh. There's a lot of stuff that's, that, if you get into it, is designed for this and gets to, you know, Gentiles unfamiliar with the Sabbath. It gets very arcane in some ways. It's very interesting. Mm-hmm. You know, interesting, I've, I've been kind of looking over this list since we got to that part in the outline. And one thing that I note is not on here is reading. <laughs> That's correct. Reading is not, like I said, writing and erasing is. Given that you're, uh, one of the things that happens on the Sabbath is, you know, reading from uh, the Torah, That it's one of the things that kind of you look at and go, well, it really couldn't be. A lot of these are very interesting, though. You remember I talked about, for example, threshing and extraction. Sure. Mm-hmm. It's not just like threshing grain. It's any productive extraction. So juicing fruits and vegetables, uh, wringing a desirable fluid out of a cloth, huh. squeezing, unless certain rules are applied, is forbidden. It gets, in many cases, very technical. And we're, again, we're talking about the most restrictive interpretations. But this is what we see written about a great deal in the Gospels, because these are the sorts of interpretations that the scholars of the law were applying. So it's it's useful to know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and again, that sort of legalism is something I kind of want to talk about as both role-playing and as a, a real-life application. Unless you're playing a game set in a time and place where Mosaic Law is actively enforced, which would be interesting in and of itself, mm-hmm. I don't know that you're really going to be doing much with the actual Sabbath as written in Scripture. But downtime is a pretty important thing in a lot of role-playing games. But downtime is still pretty busy in every role-playing game I've ever played in. It's kind of a term more for filler episode as much as anything else. Or we are not actively pursuing the plot, but by golly, I'm going to get myself a big old project and work on it during downtime. I'm building a robot. I'm chasing down this other thing. I'm collecting stamps. Something that uses up that time rather than actually having characters relax. When was the last time you actually saw a character relax other than the generic, I go drink in the bar, which usually ends up, I find a quest. Or I start a fight. Yeah, well, that too. (laughs) I'm kind of hoping somebody makes Lambert do it at some point because he's been burning the candle at both ends and in the middle. No, you all have. Yeah. That's the thing, though. Like in my own game, it's been go, 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 go. Mm hmm. Interestingly, I, I've talked about that first lengthy D&D game that I ran. The characters went from level 5 to level 21. Mm-hmm. They saved the world multiple times. They rediscovered a lost civilization. All kinds of other plot stuff happened. And we sat down towards the end of the campaign and were talking about how much time in the world had passed. And it was less than a year. Wow. It was just pedal to the metal, no time to rest. Mm-hmm. The stakes are too high. It, you know, it was like soldiers in active combat don't go at the pace that those player characters did for that long. Mm-hmm. Another thing I've seen with that happens with downtime is it becomes a really great time for the GM to exploit the players letting down their guard and it's ambush time. Oh yes. no, you happened to fall asleep at the wrong time. You took a nap. How dare you assume that you will ever be able to escape the goblin horde? Too bad you have to fight goblins now. You thought you got to relax. You were wrong. Suddenly wyverns. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's real bad. 
Yeah. Um, this this rant, by the way, goes with the uh, the making people play out social skills rant. <laughs> Don't yes. do it. <laughs> Yes. I think yeah. we've talked before about the exploited. We were talking about with clothing, right? Nobody takes their armor off because there might be an ambush because yeah. that's how GMs work. Yeah. 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 Like that. That's the kind of behavior that leads to players needing <laughs> to wear the armor all the time. Yeah. So, yeah. I can tell you, I'm actually really fascinated by and really attracted to the idea of a session or even just part of a session with real downtime. Mm-hmm. What do you do? You have the day off. You can't do anything else. Like you can't do work. How do you? Re- I, I would. I wouldn't even phrase it. You have the day off. I say, okay, you have the day off. How do you relax? Mm-hmm. What does your character do for themselves? Yeah, there are two pieces of media that I've seen this do this relatively well. Avatar: The Last Airbender is one of them. They had mm-hmm. excellent, excellent filler episodes. They had, oh, uh, I think it was Tales from Ba Sing Se. It was a filler episode with a lot of little miniature stories following um, all the main characters separated, but still doing stuff like Sokka, like he he went to a poetry duel and he dueled with poetry. Katara and Toph went and got their makeup done and stuff and, and went and did girly things, even though it wasn't necessarily what they would normally do. Uh, they They were taking a break. So yeah, Toph was not super girly. <laughs> no, no. And like that's that is covered very heavily in that particular episode. So so Avatar The Last Airbender is really good for that. Another okay. one that I think really fits in well with role playing games. Uh, and it's it's a little dated at this point, but Dragon Age Origins actually did this really well, because basically when you are not in town, you are in camp. What do you do in camp? You talk to each other. You are talking to the NPCs and you are having meaningful conversations with them. And this is very, very hard to do like in a constructed way, if that makes sense. Like it's it's always super awkward when a GM is like, oh, it's camp time. Role play on command for me, for my pleasure. It always just is, is super awkward. So it has to be done organically. Yeah, you get things like, hello, fellow PC, stilted dialogue. Don't you agree? Remember <laughs> yeah. that time when you chopped off the orc's head? Wasn't that great? Yeah. So, no, use, that's, that's use a sparingly, good but... A couple of notes on my end, too. I talked about this a little bit when we had uh, Sarah Lynn Bowman on talking about LARP. Our Fellowship game had an episode of Downtime, which was really interesting. We used a, a bottle episode rule system kind of designed for a mini LARPy sort of thing involving bottles. I, I talked about it more on that episode, but the idea was it was the night before the final battle for this particular city. Hmm. The player who is playing the halfling and thus in charge of all halfling customs and declaring what they are, because this is how fellowship works, said, hey, you know what we do before each uh, big battle like this? Get drunk. We break <laughs> out the best food. We break out the best uh, alcohol we've saved up and we enjoy ourselves. Because if we're going to go out, we're going to go out having had a good last night with friends, cheering and dancing and singing and having fun and telling good stories and enjoying our own company. And we turned that into a, a thing. And as it happens, that ended up working out really well because we we had some fun interaction. My character told a terrible joke and we ended up making the decision to burn the city down behind us. Oh, 
<laughs> well, okay. And convinced the halflings that this was an awesome idea. It was a one big last, yeah, you can't have our city. We're going to burn it down <laughs> ourselves and become nomads. Wow. <laughs> it was great. <laughs> okay. Well, then. Um, but it was very, and the thing is, it ended up being very much in character because it was mm-hmm. a, no, you know what? We're done with this city. Time to move on. <laughs> and it ended on up being a, a really cool thing. And also the fire ended up being important because we were fighting an ice queen. Hmm. So it worked out. So that was kind of cool. I, I'm not going to say it was necessarily a Sabbath day, but it was definitely like a moment of rest where we'd been going, 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 going. And then it was, let's relax. Let's connect with each other. We have a thing coming up, but that's for tomorrow. It's downtime. <laughs> and it worked out very well. Mm-hmm. I would like to do that in our D&D game at some point. I think I think it's going to be necessary. I think we're We've... overdue, actually. <laughs> I agree, because the pace has been very go, 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 go. You've got one big thing coming up, but I think after you deal with that, it'll be a good time for some, some downtime. Can I make a suggestion? It's an island. Have there be just a lengthy rainstorm. Nothing hmm. dangerous, just it's raining really hard. All the work is outside. You got to stay in. Yeah, I might do something like that. Maybe even when we're in the Kenku village or something, so we, we can't even do paperwork or something. I was actually thinking I might have the governor just declare a holiday. Hmm. That would work too. And just be like, no, you can't work. You can't go out and fight. You can't do stuff. Go relax. Go find something to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because if you do that, you won't be bringing me headaches for 24 hours. <laughs> there is also that. There's no ibuprofen on the island. It's a big problem. Yeah. Yeah, like, this is my holiday. You're observing it as just a necessary side effect. Exactly. <laughs> um, the other things I wanted to mention real quick, I think Stardew Valley actually does a pretty good job of this. Oh, yeah. Sometimes, like, yeah. farming can be kind of a chore, but there are days where you look at it and go, like, especially once you have, you know, sprinklers set up, it's like, yeah. eh, don't need to do anything. I'm going to go do something else. I'm going to go talk to all the people in the town, you know, things like that. Mm-hmm. And that works out. It's very telling, by the way, that when I played Stardew Valley, I had a pretty good farm going and I barely knew the people in the town's names. Yes, I, I mm. play that way as well. But that's because I want the counter to go up. The money number needs to go up. I There's a reason I'm horribly stressed. I did yeah. not play like that because I really wanted to marry Sebastian. So, Yeah. I didn't play like that at all. My farm was sorrel, like thoroughly neglected the entire time. The problem with marrying Sebastian is you have to stalk him. You know what? <laughs> yep. No, no. I, I'm, I'm yep. not saying like that's a bad thing. It's just he leaves his room in the basement for two hours a day. He's that guy. Uh-huh. Yeah. It's, it's real bad. Um, so, yeah, Stardew Valley is a good example. Uh, another author I want to commend for this is Jack McDevitt. Uh, he writes sci-fi and space travel archaeological mysteries, which I highly recommend. Very good books. But one of the interesting things about it is the way space travel works in his books, it can be one, two, three months before you get anywhere. And rather than skip it, he spends time describing how people entertain themselves. Hmm. You know, like, we're going to put on this, they LARP. it's not LARP but they have these dramas and people play the roles in these dramas and sometimes it's you know stuff where they're in charge of their own characters sometimes it's we're acting out roles you know they put on plays or they LARP in these these complex role-playing scenarios one of the the conceits of his setting is that 
there's this little thing you can put on and it creates an energy field around you. So you don't need a spacesuit. It's an energy spacesuit, basically. They're great things of like, yeah, there's a guy in a Yale sweatshirt out exploring an alien hostile world with an acidic <laughs> atmosphere. <laughs> it's like, it's fine, right? You just wear whatever you're comfortable in to go space exploring. Hmm. It's a cool conceit. I like it. Yeah. Um, you know, so it's things like, yeah, you know, we're just going to go play on this planet. And he spends time on characters taking those breaks, which I really appreciate because it is genuine downtime for the characters and for the reader. Mm-hmm. That's the other thing. This is a mental break for players and readers and anyone involved in a story like this. You need those moments of, ah, we've let the drama go and now we can pick it back up. Mm-hmm. There's a reason Shakespeare takes comedic breaks in his tragedies. You yeah. need the contrast. Yeah. Hayao Miyazaki actually does this as well in mm-hmm. most of his Studio Ghibli movies. Um, I, I cannot remember the word for it. I think it's ma, but it's basically an in-between. So like when you're clapping like this, you hear the sound and the sound is the action, but the space between the sound is ma and it's necessary for the pacing t- of the clapping to be right. Yeah, it, it's a, a very important part of storytelling. Mm-hmm. And I think we just neglect it too much. Much as we neglect rest in general. Yes. A couple other role playing considerations. Do Sabbath days or their equivalent affect religious characters? Yeah. Like, do clerics and paladins and monks, like on the Sabbath day, do they just say to the party, hey guys, I can't travel today because my religion says not to and I, I, I sure. can't do it? If they are spellcasters, do their spells work on the Sabbath? Because if it's God's day of rest, then why would holy-based magic work on the Sabbath? Because it's it's a day of rest. (laughs) You definitely want the to-save-a-life exception in there, because otherwise the GM will go crazy with that. Oh, Oh, yeah, yeah, the zombie army always attacks on the Sabbath. Yeah, you get nothing. Have fun with that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, GMs, please be kind. We're applying the Wheaton rule here. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, But yeah, I, I think... These are all interesting, and I will say it doesn't have to be a uh, a cleric or paladin. A fighter who refuses to fight every seven days mm-hmm. would be pretty interesting. Yeah, unless it yeah, was defensive. It but well, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I think that that is sort of built in. You know, yeah. if there's a goblin actively attacking me, I'm not going to just go. I'm going to let it sit, slip my throat. It's Sunday. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but also another consideration: would it change their tactics? Like instead of chopping the goblin's head off. Would they do a shield bash and knock it out? That that mm, kind of thing. Good point. Does it vary with the kind of enemy? If a yeah. wild animal attacks me, does that count as slaughter? Mm. Versus a murderer is trying to kill me, that's a, a different kind of self-defense. But if mm-hmm. it's a wild beast, do I need to treat it differently on these holy days? Mm-hmm. Could be interesting. And it's something you'd want to make sure you write down for consistency. Yeah. And again, GMs do not take advantage of this willy-nilly. This is not a lever for exploitation. (laughs) Yeah, which is not to say you can't use it for interesting stories, but you also need to let it be its own thing most of the time. The cases where you have to violate it should be exceptions and interesting story points, not every single time. Mm -hmm. I feel like we're going to need to have that episode on battered group syndrome soon. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Don't worry about it. Eventually. Someday. It'll happen. Once we get through our guest hosts. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I didn't talk about this in the the intro section when perhaps I should have. We have so many awesome guest hosts coming. We have a lot of guests lined up. It's going to be great. Sabbath violations or their equivalent 
could be interesting gaming hooks. Somebody has violated a holy day. They plead to the party for help. What do you do? If you've got somebody who believes the day is holy and believes this person has violated this in the party, you got someone else who's like, well, this this doesn't seem reasonable. You've got intra-party conflict, and that's good, and it's not attacking anyone necessarily. It's here's a situation that you need to address with no easy answers. Mm-hmm. It could be that your party's plans, they conflict with an important holy day. There's any number of things you can come up with. This is not the most gameable commandment. I'll be upfront about that because we are specifically talking about a commandment that says, relax, take the day off, do not work. It is specifically not for inaction, but for rest and recuperation. Mm -hmm. Which, by the way, I think leads neatly into gaming isn't a terrible activity on the Sabbath. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's probably true. Yeah. And again, we're coming at this from the perspective of uh, Gentile Christians who are not bound by this Mosaic law. And that is an important disclaimer in this case. Mm -hmm. Right. If your tradition is one that is bound to that, this may well cause problems for you. So keep that in mind. Mm -hmm. Uh, And if we happen to have listeners who are bound by that, I'd I'd love to hear, do you avoid gaming on the Sabbath? How does this work for you? You How does it work in in modern life? That kind of thing. I'd, I'd be interested to hear. I have actually heard a very interesting story about this, and it was a while ago. Okay. So, so I may get some of the facts wrong. But there was a convention that a YouTuber set up for a card game that he had made. Not a big convention, more like a meetup. It was about, I think he said 50 people. So more, more like a tournament than a convention. Okay. Um, and the, the rules are that it is like a duel. So it's two people, one on either side of the table. He went around to one table once and there were three people at it. And he was like, whoa, whoa, hold up. And he went over and he's like, uh, excuse me, you, you can't have teams. This isn't a team game. It's one against one. Uh, you're, you're breaking the rules. And one girl was not holding the cards. And the other girl on the, on the same side of the table was like, oh, it's the Sabbath day. And, and the guy was like, uh, what? She's not allowed to hold cards today. Oh, Interesting. okay. And he was like, you know what? That's fine. As long as she is making all the decisions for you and you are just holding the cards for her. All right, that's fine. I don't know what particular faith this individual was following, but it, it was just a very interesting workaround to a rule. The workarounds are kind of a big deal in terms of, you know, how you interact with the Sabbath. I, I mm-hmm. do know that much. Mm-hmm. You know, I talked about lamps, for example, you know, day of preparation, right? You prepare all this stuff ahead of time. Yep. Hooded lamps. Hooded lamps are a, a thing listed in, in D&D manuals, so... Yeah, yeah, the, yeah. the hooded lantern. <laughs> exactly. Um, I, I will say this. While the vast majority of Christians don't observe the Sabbath, as we said, quiet time for reflection and community building is perhaps more vital than ever. Mm-hmm. God himself took a day of rest. And I think we often, you know, we say that. We go, oh, yeah, seventh day he rested. But I'm not going to rest. I don't need to. Or I can't afford to. Um J. Ellsworth Callis, again, quoting from Ten Commandments from the backside. I want to quote a paragraph here. Our workaholic patterns smack of a kind of blasphemy. Rest may be good enough for God, but I'm above all that. In some cases, our unwillingness to take a Sabbath is evidence of our feeling indispensable. The universe may survive God's taking a day of rest, but it will fall apart if we do so. For others, it is an absence of trust. We're sure that if we don't work seven days a week, we won't survive economically. And in every case, we're failing to see God's sublime goodness. 
Now, I will add to that that refusing others the opportunity for this sort of rest is also sinful. It GMs? Makes, well, GMs, but also... <laughs> I, I'm Okay, this is just kind of... I, I know you're going someplace serious with this, but this is why it's bad mm-hmm. to hit players during downtime. Continue. <laughs> well, it's, it's bad for a multitude of reasons, but it is, in, in terms, but... of, in a spiritual sense, yeah, it, it is sinful. It makes us little better than the Pharaoh of Exodus, ruling over our own petty little kingdoms that we control, uh, our own businesses. If I own a business and I'm making people work seven days a week, or I'm I have schedules set up that. You know, nobody really has a day off, you know, on-demand scheduling, for example, you know, that pulls people in even when they thought they might have a day off. Or if I don't own a business, but I, you know, I manage a team of people like I do at my office. If I'm making people work all the time, that is on me. I am, I am not giving people a chance to rest and recuperate and restore themselves spiritually, to heal in the way that the Sabbath offers. And yeah, this applies and- to families. It applies to mm-hmm. churches. It does, in fact, apply to our gaming groups. It's an easy, seductive trap to fall into because it's power. We have power over somebody, and we're going to exercise it. Or we have power over ourselves, and we're going to exercise it. That's mm-hmm. the other side of it, too. There we go. Yeah. And I think that's a good note to wrap up on, unless either of you have something to add. No, I think no. that's about the best note to wrap up on. Yeah, same. Okay. Well, thank you for listening, folks. I appreciate it. Again, um, I do want to recommend to everyone, I will link this in the show notes, but this Ten Commandments from the Backside book is really pretty good. Uh, He's got a whole series of these things. Well recommended. You'll find a a number of articles if you search on, you know, oh, we've given up the Sabbath. And I am not going to tell you that work is bad. I think, you know, taking pride in good work is an excellent thing. But I also think, as with many other things, there is a balance to be struck and that restorative downtime is something that we all have given up on too much. Yeah. Drinking mm-hmm. water is beneficial. Never stopping drinking water is called drowning. Yep. <laughs> yes. Exactly. If you are a first-time listener, you can find us at stgcast.org. We're also on Stitcher, iTunes, Google Play, and pretty much anywhere else that fine podcasts are given out for free. And if you are interested in supporting us on Patreon, patreon.com slash saving the game. From all of us here at Save Me the Game, have a good one. Take it easy. We'll catch you next time. See you later, folks. See ya. This has been a production of Saving the Game. All episodes are produced and published under a Creative Commons 4.0 attribution, share-alike license. Our logo is by Ruben Smith Zimple of 3d6design.com. Our music is The Promised Place Beyond the Clouds by James Opie. You can find more of his music at nihilore.com. To hear our past episodes, to find syndication and license details, to connect with our fantastic listener community, or to contact us or support our show through Patreon, visit our website at stgcast.org or savingthegamepodcast.org. God bless, do good, and happy gaming.